Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 218. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back again. And on this week's episode, an absolute ray of sunshine, a delight, pure goodness, wrapped up in a beautiful English accent. I've got Jin Walker. Now, Jin is someone that I met when I facilitated a panel on behalf of Seattle Fish Company. She was a panelist, I was moderator. We really hit it off. She started listening to my show after that, and here we are. She said, hey, would you be interested in having me on your show? And I said, of course. I adored our time together. I love the work of copywriting, and I'd love to feature what you do. So Jen is the copy genie. She's only been at it a short time here, but she tells me in this episode she should have been doing it her entire life. Why? You're just going to have to listen to find out. But her approach to her work is interesting because she approaches each copywriting gig as if she were approaching an acting role. How do you get into that role? How do you understand the characters? How do you understand the context? How do you reach your ideal customer? It's all part of the calculus that makes her successful. I do a little bit of copywriting myself for my day job, Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our four pillars are training, content, engagement, and podcasting. And those four things are all basically designed to help your business or your organization tell its story in a better way. Now, Jen is doing that almost exclusively through copy. So we get into the art of copywriting. And I think copywriting is one of those things that we actually take for granted because we are bombarded by copy all day, every day. If you're online, you are seeing copy of all stripes. Look at your inbox. How many different emails? How many newsletters? How many calls to action are you receiving each day? How do you cut through the clutter? How do you cut through the noise? How do you actually reach people who may need your service but don't know that they need it yet? How can you help better people's lives? That's all covered here along with the journey through her career, starting in Kingston-upon-Thames, which, by the way, is probably the most delightful town name I have ever heard. It's in southeast London. We talk about why she moved from there over to Colorado. And it bears mention here that we didn't even have to talk about work. Jen has one of those personalities where I could probably just listen to her read the phone book for an hour and I'd be compelled. Maybe that's because I'm an American and she's British and American people tend to love to listen to British people. Maybe we have an inferiority complex about uh, breaking away from England. I don't know. I have no idea what the psychology of it is, but all I can tell you is Jin is just delightful and this is a dynamite episode filled with great info and a really, really fun conversation. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, I'd like to give a shout to our sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. They have been with me since episode one, and they are doing dynamite work every single day. If you're doing anything online, whether that's building a campaign, trying to reach people through social media, or online advertising, 4Degrees is the best company to talk to to get your message in front of the people who need to see it most, and at a price that's very attractive, very affordable, very reasonable. I've featured two of their team members on this show before. Zach Kanaus is the founder. He was early on. That was five plus years ago at this point. And probably a year ago, I also talked to Liz Morasco, and she's a linguist. So sort of related to what we're talking about here. Go back into the archives. Check those out. Those are available on johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us. Then after you listen to those, hit up four degrees on the web. 
The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Now then, let's get to this week's episode. Number 218 is Jin Walker. She is the copy genie, she's an ace copywriter, and she is an absolute ray of sunshine. Her episode starts right now. So the Think Tank, yeah, it's run by the Copywriter Club, which um, and the two kind of uh, our mentors within that are Kira Hug and Rob Marsh, who are, who are copywriters, kind of royalty, really, in the field. <laughs> and they, um, yeah, I first met them, or at least first kind of came across them because of their podcast. They uh, they run this fantastic. It's just called the Copywriter Club podcast, cool. and it changed my life basically because when I discovered <laughs> that, that's when I discovered that I should have been a copywriter all along. And so, um, yes, having followed them through the podcast, I then invested in a, a program they do called the Accelerator, which uh, is, is that it's aimed, it aims to help people who are, are copywriters and are just kind of getting started and just kind of helping them with the business side of things as well as, as, well as copy itself. And then the Think Tank is kind of the, like the, the big girls. <laughs> but, you know, it's not just girls, of course. But, um, yeah, it's a sort of uh, taking it a step further. So it's for, for business owners who are who are ready to take it very much to the next level. And there's a whole range of people actually inside the think tank at different levels. And I, I thought about joining it. I did almost sort of get in the back door of, of it uh, last year, in fact. But at that point, I really wasn't ready. It uh-huh. was, although I was very keen on the idea of kind of being the stupidest person in the room, because that's how you learn, that's how you grow. You yeah. kind of, by osmosis, you just take in all this amazingness and, and it can't help but progress. Um, in that case, like a, a year or so ago, I was not so much the stupidest person in the room as the person outside the room sort of looking in the window <laughs> trying to lip read what was, <laughs> the hell was going on. I, had, I really didn't. You know, people asking these amazing questions um, and giving amazing answers. And I honestly had no idea what they even the question was about. So, oh, gotcha. Yeah. So it was it was not the right time for me then. Um, but nevertheless, I kept, uh, you know, kept following Kira and Rob and the whole Copywriter Club thing. And they also have a membership uh, called The Underground. By the way, if anyone is interested in getting into copywriting, either for their own business or as a career in itself, I totally recommend um, The Copywriter Club for all the resources they they supply. So yeah, as time went on, it became clear that, you know, the time was right for me. And I was getting, I was getting some clients. I was getting work going on. I was loving what I was doing. I had all the kind of lovely feedback that told me, yeah, I can do this. I can, you know, the whole imposter syndrome is always there. Of oh, course. we talk about that a lot. Oh, on this show. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's ubiquitous, but, um, but nevertheless, I was, you know, when I looked at it, I was getting the feedback that told me I could do this. I'm, I'm, I'm good at this. I have something. And so I, I just needed the structure sure. to, to take me to the next place. It was like, I knew what to do. I I'd learned so much through different courses and programs, mm. but I was at a stage where I just needed some structure and some support to tell me what to do next, <laughs> right. you know, just the kind of structure to help me forward. No, that absolutely. It's been, it's been amazing. No, I mean, that's absolutely true. I, I spoke to, it was a couple episodes ago, but he said he wanted to do an Ironman and it's like, you can go out and you can try and you can wing it and you might be successful. Yes. But having a a training program and getting with others who can actually put a program in place for you will help you be more successful. Everyone needs that. Of course. Uh, To one extent or another. Okay. So two questions I want to ask you. Yes. One is you mentioned Rob and Kira. Yes. Okay. My heroes. How does does one become copywriting royalty? (laughs) Um, I may be the only one who calls them that, but, uh, but they are very, I'm sure they're flattered though. (laughs) Very well thought of in the field for sure. Well, that's a good question, but it kind of, it's, it's interesting because it's, 
it reflects back on, on what I was just saying about putting yourself in a place surrounded by people who are you know who are going to lift you up and, mm-hmm. and provide the structure and the the uh, expertise that, to get you to the next place that's exactly what they did okay. um, you know a few years back they um, joined various copywriter and business not just copywriting but business think tanks masterminds surrounded themselves with with people who were you know that many steps ahead and could guide them and give them the support and the contacts gotcha. and 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 so on it's like the sir isaac newton them up. it's the sir isaac newton quote right mm. if i have seen further it's because i've stood on the shoulders, on the of, shoulders giants. of giants exactly great quote P- perfect absolutely yeah. and it's true that there's i don't know why they're there can be a kind of sense of shame, it, not shame, but uh, this idea that, oh, I should be able to do it on my own. I should be, I should be able to see the way. And they don't know anything that I don't know. You know, I can look at this all up on Google and, and so on, but it, yeah. it's absolutely not the case. Well, or at least it's, yes, you could, as you say, you could, you could wing you the could. Iron Man and have a go and maybe you'd be great. But to surround yourself with people who are there genuinely to help you and to bring you forward and have answers to the questions that, that you don't even know you have in your head yet, mm-hmm. uh, is so helpful. Is so, genuinely you know incredible to to bring you forward absolutely and so okay before i ask you the next question this is jen walker who (laughs) is the copy genie a copywriter and an actor and we met on the panel what was that like a year ago now yeah it was august last 2018 yeah so almost a year ago uh for seattle fish company that's right yeah it was like a sustainability panel I was moderating it. You were one of the panelists. Yes. It was great. We hit it off from there. I thought it was terrific. And finally, we've gotten to reconnect here, which is great. Something you said was when you started looking into this course or looking into, you know, this think tank. Yes. You said, you realized you should have always been a copywriter. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, okay. Two parts to that question. One is for anyone who doesn't know what a copywriter does, give a little bit of one-on-one on that. Yes. And number two why should you have always been a copywriter? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so first, yeah, copy. Um, I mean, when people hear the word copy, uh, well, well... They think like Xerox. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly, uh, you know, a duplicate, a, a replica or something. Right. But copy in terms of writing um, is is writing, but it's a specific kind of writing that's designed to elicit a response. Mm-hmm. So when you're writing copy specifically, you want your reader to take some sort of action. Now that could be, you know, in advertising, you could just want them to kind of build, uh, you know, brand awareness of whatever it is that you're trying to sell or affinity for a brand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. To get to know it. So, so yeah, you, and in, in lots of content, uh, marketing, that's the case as well, that you're building an affinity and a connection with a brand. Right. So that's not a specific action in the moment so to speak but uh the idea is that that leads to specific actions in the future in terms of right it's like three steps removed yeah from an action but you're you're laying out the steps in which someone takes action eventually exactly because you're forming you're starting to form a relationship with with that person with your ideal customer exactly and so a little bit further down the line as you say steps forward um you get to what these days is called i'm not sure if it's always been called this but conversion copywriting Mm -hmm. where you are actually eliciting the response the actual action so clicking a button on on the website um clicking buy you're signing up for a, a newsletter, you're um, donating money to a nonprofit, you're actually taking uh, an action in response right. to the copy. And that's called conversion. You're converting them from 
well, all copies should take you from A to B, so to speak, at one place to another. But conversion copywriting specifically is, is about getting somebody to take an action. And it's, and it's an action in their own interests. So at least um, my belief is that it should be. <laughs> right. Well, there's a school of thought that says no one is actually persuaded to make uh, a decision by someone else. Yes. Everything comes from within. You need to just give them the, the tools with which to make that decision on their own. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is, it's, my, it's my belief. It's a little bit of a hobby horse of mine, actually. Because a lot of people think about copy and, and, and selling in general as being sort of sleazy and somehow inherently kind of immoral and e- um, evil. You know, you're, you're parting a fool from the money kind of thing. That's, <laughs> right. um, that's what it's all about. But I believe that copy, like anything, like nuclear physics, like um, any kind of science, any kind of process really can be used for good or for evil, mm. so to speak. No, that's true. The process itself, selling is not yeah. inherently evil. It's a neutral thing. But exactly. it can be perverted by uh, bad actors. Yes, oh, absolutely, enough. absolutely. And that undoubtedly happens. Of course it happens. And we've all been in those horrible experiences where we have come out with buyer's remorse and thought, yeah. why the hell did I, you know, was I persuaded to do that? That's awful. But you see that, if you come out with that experience uh, from the, the, the point of view of the person trying to sell you something, it's a very bad model for them because you're never going to buy from them again. You're not forming a relationship with that customer. You've pissed them off. They're going right. <laughs> you know, to never come back again. You're salting the earth a little bit too because they're... They're not only going to have a bad experience, they're going to spread the word. And who was I talking to on this show that said, uh, bad news travels like 10 times faster than good news? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Absolutely. (laughs) So your reputation, you know, right? Like, oh, no time. It was the guy from Modern Market. And he said, uh, he's like, if you come into Modern Market and you have an agreeable experience and everything is sort of in line, you go, oh, well, that was nice. And you might tell one person about it. If you have a bad experience, you're going to go tell everyone you yeah. know how much that sucks. So true. Yeah. So true. So wild. Absolutely. So you're right. It is bad business. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, to answer the, the second part of your question about why I feel like I always should have been a copywriter. I spent, well, I need to kind of go back and tell you what I was doing before, really. I spent decades, literally decades, as um, as a copy editor and oh, okay. um, and an author working within educational publishing. Which was great at the time and, you know, did just what I needed it to do in the stage of life that I was at. But as time went on, it just became very samey because I I'd kind of accidentally niched down, um, which was great in terms of it kept work coming in regularly. But I was in a very narrow niche, which was basically biology school books. Oh, boy. Um, Right. And although biology was my, uh, you know, biological sciences was what my first degree was, was all about. God, um, really? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, that's what I love about this show. The journey is never just A to B. Oh no. It's, yeah, it's been mad. Um, but yeah. So anyway, I got myself kind of into this narrow niche. And although over the years things were always different because it was, it, it was during the nineties and uh, early two thousands when the technology was changing with every project. Sure. Um, and so from that point of view, there was always variety, but as time, and there was a lot of flexibility also for me, which was great when I was having, I had my four kids and we moved continents and all the rest of it. So it was great to be portable and flexible in that way. Sure. But, but by, I don't know how many years, what, about five, six years ago now, we had moved to the, to the US. Um, and as I say, I was still able to work for my UK clients and they published internationally and it didn't matter where in the world I was, but I was bored. <laughs> I was really bored. I was literally seeing the same material come across my desk that I was re-editing and reworking on. And because of course, publishing companies like anyone else are trying to leverage the material that they've got. They're, yeah. you know, optimizing their backlist. And basically it's the same material that keeps coming around and they just sort of 
work it into different forms depending on the on the syllabuses uh, that uh, that are required at the time because this is in educational publishing mm-hmm. and so I knew I had to do something else and also the other thing was that in all that time although I enjoyed the flexibility of being freelance I had never um, really had a sense of 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 myself as running a business as being a business person i was the order taker i sat there and as i say i never really and, uh, until i wanted to take time off i never had a period when i didn't have enough work um it was always coming in but it was always a question of hey gina this is um uh this is this is on the table do you want to do it here's the price yes or no and oftentimes i would say no because i had plenty of, of, of other work but basically those were the parameters i right. had no sense that i had any kind of control or direction over where my business was going. I didn't even think that I could necessarily choose the kind of work I wanted to do because I thought, well, this is just what I do, um, let alone how much I could charge for it. And so... That's um, wild to me because yeah. <laughs> like, like the idea that, that you perceived yourself as having no agency, just because the work kept coming in and you go, all right, well, it's almost like the world is happening to you. Yes. And, and you are not you know, imprinting yourself on the world. The world is happening to you and you go, all right. And yeah. it, it, like it's a... I mean, it is a business model. It's a very passive one. Yeah. But that's that's fascinating to me because as an entrepreneur, one of the hardest things is going out and chasing business. Yes. And, and you got to stay hungry and do that. When it's not coming in, I suppose, yeah, it would be easy to be complacent about it. Yeah. And I think that's what happened. As I say, it was terribly convenient for me. Sure. During the stage of life that I was at. But yeah, no, yeah, it was that kind of passivity that, that was really getting to me. And it's interesting because, well, two things. First of all, when I got to this stage, I was, I was remembering that when I very, when I first left university and the, one of the first jobs I applied for was in publishing. And it was very much, um, a kind of backroom sort of job. As lots of kind of editorial work, sure, it's basically yeah. you're kind <laughs> right. of just there and sort of doing your thing. You're Not just a lot alone of with like walls of text, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In those days, it was all printed pages <laughs> and proofs and stuff. It was crazy. Yeah. When you think how the technology has, has moved forward, oh, it's, it's astonishing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so, and I, but I did this personality test for this guy, for this, it was a very tiny publisher in London. And uh, it, it, in those days, those personality tests were kind of quite odd and, you know, unusual. I'd never done one before. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And it, but basically, he didn't give me the job because he said to me, I, you're not a backroom person. He said, you're much more front of house. You mm. need to be up there, out there, you know, being more creative, having more input. And I thought at the time, I was quite indignant. I thought, how dare you tell me who I am and what I am? And I want this job and it's not fair and all the rest of it. So anyway, I went off and got a very similar job with another publishing company. And, you know, as I say, the rest is kind of history. And, and lo and behold, yeah, he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. But it took me, you know, 20 years or so to kind of figure that out and to realize it. But then when you see, when I realized what was happening, I thought, well, what choices do I have? And all I could see really was, well, I need an in-house job. That's how I get a structure. That's how I get a kind of career ladder to, to, I'll be starting again potentially, but that's how I work my, my way up and forward and have some sort of agency in, in, in the direction of, of my work. And so I did, I got a job in a little company in Boulder and, um, well, the long and short of it is it didn't last long <laughs> <laughs> because basically by this point, um, and maybe it was true all along, I, I'm unemployable. <laughs> Having worked for myself, I mean, uh-huh. as I say, it was kind of passive because the work was just coming. But nevertheless, I was, you know, doing it under my own steam and in my own time and mm-hmm. planning out my own days and my calendar and so on. Um, suddenly being in a work situation, it was an exceptional work situation, I have to say. I don't want to sort of name any names, but um, it was slightly odd situation <laughs> in as much as I was being asked to do work that was 
utterly pointless. I mean, really, I mean, not just kind of, oh, I don't really see, you know, where this is taking me. It was, it was like, um, writing work, uh, that I would do. And then I'd, I'd hand it to the, to the editor person and she'd hand it back to me and say, oh, yeah, that's great. But I just want you to change all these paragraphs around into a different order. And I go, uh, Right. Okay. And then I do that and give it back to her. And she goes, yes. Okay. And now do that again and do it in a different order. <laughs> it was, it was, it was literally like that. Just it no was, rhyme or reason to bon- it? No, as far as I could see, absolutely no. Right. I mean, obviously, she, I don't know. This person, I think, had some sort of know, ma- ma- method to her madness. Okay. But to me, it was, it was really not clear. Not, I mean, that's just kind of one example. There are other things as well, but which showed me that I just, I needed, it was a, it was a very helpful process, really. This, it was only a couple of months, but it really showed me how much I need to have a creative input in, mm. in what I'm doing. Yeah. And it, that, it doesn't need to be kind of all song and dance. It, it just needs to be something from me and from my soul and from my heart that I can put into it and that it means something to me and that it's moving something forward and helping other people. That, that was the other thing in this company it was ostensibly I, I don't want to really talk about it too much because I don't want the, com- the person to hear and be upset because she was lovely but uh, it, this company was not doing what it was supposed to be doing mm-hmm. it was a training company that was supposed to be um, helping people uh, with life skills Okay. and they had not done any actual training which I didn't realize till I was in the company for 17 years <laughs> 17 years so i'm keep asking when i first joined oh well, maybe i could see some you know maybe i could go out on one of the courses and you know get some feedback and see what's happening with the materials and so on because i to me that's the only way to get yeah to move forward to get clarity is to to do the work see how it's working get the feedback and then progress but no nothing had been done for 17 years it seems like a pertinent question i mean <laughs> and not unreasonable <laughs> But, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So that basically showed me how much I need not only a creative input, but also a sense of purpose, a sense that mm. what I'm doing is actually mattering to somebody. I, I agree with you. That's why I don't do a ton of like publicity or like luxury brands or right. things like that. I just don't care. Like, yeah. I mean, in general and like I, I've done stuff like that and I'm good at it. And if, if someone hires me to do something, I will put everything I have into it, but that's not where the rubber meets the road for me. Yes. Like I like things that, that are a little bit more purpose driven Absolutely. Uh, or even like controversial, you know, like. Yeah. If, yeah. There, if there are issues yeah, sure. of, of, of public sort of discourse or discord, I, I go, okay, well, let's get in here and let's build a bridge where maybe we couldn't before. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds very similar to kind of what you're into is probably why we were on that sustainability panel together. Yes, absolutely. So. Yes, yes. And I was uh, going to say about that, actually, because when I, I first transitioned into copywriting, and it, this was like the beginning of 2017, uh, away from publishing after my little stint in this, this God, this was just company. recent. This was 2017? two years ago, wow. yeah, it, that I first yeah, got into copywriting itself, yeah. Okay. And I, uh, yeah, be, with that kind of purpose-driven mindset, I really wanted to work for sustainable brands and, um, you know, green minded mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and so on. And that still matters a lot to me. And that's, you know, I was on that panel, be, you know, because of, because of that, that, uh, that direction that I was, I was moving in. But as time has gone on, in fact, it's, it's, I've broadened it a, li- a little. I, I now say to people that I, I help, um, big hearted, um, right. brands and, and entrepreneurs because, because it seems to me that there are so many businesses out there, of course, and entrepreneurs who are, who are really genuinely wanting to help people, wanting to transform their lives, wanting to make their lives better, but don't necessarily fall under that kind of environmental right. umbrella. Do you know what I mean? And I have a great example, actually. I, I was recently doing some work for, um, a tanning, a spray tanning salon. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. And on, on you know, <laughs> you might think, oh, 
there is surely no more surface level, literally, <laughs> right. uh, brand. Yeah, no, nothing more vacuous than, yeah, or exactly, sort of superfluous. Right. Exactly. But this company, I, I didn't actually, it wasn't a company I, uh, I was working with another copywriter, basically. So she brought me in. So I kind of came in the back door slightly on this one. Um, so it wasn't a company that I'd approached. Uh, directly but they were so lovely and they were big-hearted in in every sense and the whole thing about their brand was not just tans not just right. yeah sure you'll look great you'll feel 10 pounds lighter it was so much more th than that because the salon itself became a kind of cultural and community sort of hub within mm. this this area and the women that went there just loved the conversations and the, the it was almost like kind of therapy sessions that they're having <laughs> in in the salon together plus the kind of confidence that the women were, were finding from feeling better about their bodies and so on yeah. and the kind of the, the the way that there was it had has this sort of no shame attitude in the whole place in, in whatever body size shape whatever whatever sex you are whatever you know everyone yeah. is welcome and so that was the whole thing about them that was their thing. It wasn't about the tan. It was about the community and the uplift and the helping people to move forward in that way. So that seemed to me like that. I mean, in fact, they do use all organic and uh, sure. responsibly sourced materials. But that wasn't what they were pushing, so to speak. It was the it was more the, the community minded. Right. And I mean, you're also circumventing skin cancer. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, there, so there's, there's a, the health aspect. There there, as well. There's a media perception of, you know, tan people are healthy. That's not actually true. But swimming upstream against that, you know, how do you accommodate that sort of mindset, but in a healthy and safe and sustainable way that's not damaging to each individual? Absolutely. So, yeah, so it all fits within that. Yeah, yeah it's fascinating. That framework. Yeah. You mentioned to me as you are approaching like a new client, you have a method. Yes. For for sort of getting in their head and figuring out their ideal customer. Yes. And you said it's very similar to the way that you would approach an acting job. Yeah, it's interesting. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I, I only realized um, a few months into, as I say, my, my copywriting transition, that, um, that I was doing this, really. But I do. I approach uh, the process of researching my client's customers in the same way that I research a role uh, in a play, if, I, okay. if I'm cast in a play. I call it my, my reach framework and it's just, it's an acronym, but it, it's basically helps me to, 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 to well, ask if the it's questions. an acronym, you got to give me, you got to, oh, give me I will, you know, I will. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So the R let's go through it. The R for reach is for role. And it's basically looking at who I'm talking to. So this is mm. with the, with my client's customer, uh, very much in my, their ideal customer, who they really want to talk to, who they can really help. So I'm, I'm looking at the role that they're playing in their, in their world. What that's all about their character, um, their values, the history, their, you know, what experiences they've had that have brought them to where they are right now. Mm. So that's the who, um, so the E of reach is the environment and that's their current context. That's sure. where they are geographically, but also, you know, what life stage they're at, where their relationships are, what job they're doing. So that's their kind of current environment where they are. Okay. Where right the customer right is. I was thinking where the, yes. where the company is. Okay. Ah, well, no, but I'll get to that in a moment because okay. I can use it both ways. You see, yeah. <laughs> it works both ways. <laughs> um, so yeah, that we've had R and E. So we've had the, the who and the where. Mm -hmm. basically and then <laughs> i forgot what was next then the a is for aim so what is my customer's aim in the context of the client's product or service what is it that the customer is hoping to achieve what is their objective yeah mm -hmm. um so that's the what and then the c is for challenges so what is in the way of the the customer reaching that that mm, objective yeah. what are their obstacles what are their struggles what pains are they facing right now what what, what do they need to solve 
Um, and then the H at the end is kind of for hidden depths, which is kind of taking it deeper. It's more like the why, really, the motivation and what's at stake. You know, why is it so important for them to achieve that particular objective? Yeah. What does it mean for them in terms of their their current life, their future life, their relationships, their family? What does it really mean at a deeper level? Because, for instance, you could say, oh, my aim is, I don't know, to make more money. Okay, great. But what does that actually mean in terms of how will that change right. your life? How will that actually transform your life, that money? Why is that important to you? It's like Simon Sinek. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about him. Uh, he has a great TED talk. It's only about 20 minutes long or so. But it talks about how people, when, when, whenever you're selling anything yourself or uh, any kind of brand, people buy into the why of, yeah, of, yeah. of it rather than the what. It's not what you do. It's like Apple. <laughs> they, yeah, they make computers. That's the what. So but why, yeah. why is that? Why does that make a difference? Why? And the why for them is all about kind of buying into some, some sort of cutting edge, sort of um, slightly rebellious kind of against the grain kind of right. Uh, you know, I, I noticed something interesting as you were reading those off, you were paralleling them with the five W's of journalism. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you said this is the who, this is the what, this is the where, yes. you know, this is the why. I mean, those are all journalism questions. That's right. Did you, I mean, did you study journalism or was that intentional? Well, it wasn't intentional. I know I haven't studied journalism as it happens. No, not at all. So it wasn't intentional to make that particular kind of parallel. But I guess that's how we think. Of, it's just a lovely framework anyway, isn't it? Yeah. To, to get a, a great view, a sort of all round view. Of, right. Of For any understanding subject. anything. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. So, and you mentioned earlier that um, you'd thought I'd meant uh, getting into my my client's head, but of course I can use it for them as well. Sure. And so, if I'm understanding their context, their world, what it is that they want to achieve, um, how it is that they want to transform people's lives, then I can match the messaging that I'm writing in my copy um, to make sure that they are getting across their message right. in exactly the right way that their customers want to hear it. Uh, and need to hear it in order to make the transition. Right. What are their roadblocks to, uh, you know, providing this good or service to people that is going to help? Because yeah. clearly if, you know, if they're hiring consultants, which consultants are great and, you know, consultants get a bad name. It's it's interesting because you mentioned sort of the evil perception of sales. Right? Yes. yes. Um, I, I think that with lobbying too, you know, lobbyists get a terrible name. Like you right. picture a lobbyist in your head and you're picturing some, you know, sea monster in a coat, you know, <laughs> yes. just, just, uh, you know, lighting cigars off hundred dollar bills, <laughs> but everyone has lobbyists, literally everyone. I had someone on this show who represented preschools, like preschools have lobbyists, uh, lobbyists because laws are written that affect real people in the world yeah. and you need someone there who can communicate with all the legislators. Yes. They're not all just, you know, evil fast food or, you know, nuclear weapons people or the baby seal clubbers of America or, you know, whatever, like <laughs> yes, yes. just whatever evil industry you could possibly think of. Everyone's got a lobbyist because everyone deserves to have representation where laws are being made. Absolutely. That said, if you're a business, you also deserve to tell your story effectively. Yes. And so, and there are goods out there, you know, it, it's a nice idea that people are going to find your product or your good or your service organically, mm. but they're not and, until they're, they, they're presented with the opportunity to go, wow, I do need that. Yes, they, exactly. They might not ever get the opportunity to improve their life. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where copy really comes in because, yeah. because yeah, people may be aware and there is this, um, this kind of hierarchy of awareness that we use in copywriting and it, it, it kind of expresses how, aware people are of their own 
problem that they need solved mm-hmm. and also of your of, of of solutions and of of your product as a or service as a particular solution so it goes from completely unaware they don't know who you are they don't know they've got a problem they're just kind of like you know right. blindly going through the world quite happy in, in ignorance kind of thing um, then the next stage is that they're problem aware yeah they mm. know they've got a problem but they have no idea that there are solutions out there to their problem i mean it could be literally oh something crazy like oh, i don't know they've got some sort of medical i don't know they've got, they've got a terrible headache i mean presumably yes they wouldn't know that there were solutions out there for a headache or if but, you've watched tv recently maybe they have moderate to severe plaque psoriasis right exactly <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, which commercial seems to be on all the time now. Right. Um, but yeah, maybe you have moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, mm. yet you don't know that there's a solution out Quite there for it. so. And that's where <laughs> you, as a provider of a solution to people with that thing you said, right. <laughs> need to communicate with those people. Those are the people that they they are you know destined to help. And so unless they can build that bridge, as you say, make that connection with their, their ideal customer and show them not only the benefits of the solution, but also, crucially, I think, the cost of inaction, the cost of oh, not sure, following yeah. through um, with with the solution, then you're not going to make the sale. You're not going to transform their lives. And as, and as I say, going back to the kind of good and evil aspects of, of copy and sales <laughs> and so on. Yes, you're obviously as a business owner, you are in it to make some money. You need to make some money, but you're also in it to make that uh, to make that person's life better. And so both ends of those things uh, right. can't happen until until you've made that connection. No, I mean they're both part of the equation. You know, sometimes I one thing that's frustrating is sometimes I feel like depending on what it is, we get solutions to problems that aren't really problems. Yeah. Like, like if you think about true, maybe 15 years ago, no one was really that concerned about teeth whitening. No. And then a bunch of products came out for teeth whitening. And then all of a sudden having less than perfect pearly white teeth mm. was a real problem. Yeah. You know, and you, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because the, as you say, it wasn't a problem, but now it is a real problem. Right. And it maybe it, that's interesting. I have had my teeth whined once <laughs> a long time ago. Um, but it's it, the, the fact that it's all in our minds, so to speak, the fact that it's a, right. a socially kind of constructed problem doesn't mean that it's not a problem for some people. Do you it know what it I mean? certainly could be. In as much as it could, or at least solving that could, could really improve people's lives potentially. If sure. it improves their confidence, if they have a real thing about their teeth and in their particular sphere, I mean, I don't know, maybe they're actors, maybe, <laughs> right. uh, they, maybe they, they're game show hosts. Right. Yes, exactly. In which case it would be a big problem to, to not have perfect teeth. <laughs> that would be a disqualifier. Yeah. No, that would be no, no. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's a constituency we should really be reaching as game show hosts. Right. You know, clearly underserved. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Those poor game host shit. <laughs> Um, so, okay. I want to get your sense. I just, and I wish I could remember who I can attribute this quote to, but there's one that I really like and it's, I don't like writing. I like having written. Yeah. Do you relate to that? I do. I do. Although it's interesting because I, I very much find myself in a position before I started a project thinking, Oh, I don't know where to start. Um, you know, this is going to be hard work. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to satisfy the client's needs. They're not going to be impressed with me. And so all those thoughts are going through my head, which makes me procrastinate terribly. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, <laughs> and then I'm right up against the wire and suddenly, okay, no time left. Got to just dive in. And I do dive in. And then 
actually the process of writing usually not always sometimes it's a struggle but usually once I'm actually in it and it's flowing and the ideas are coming and you always have to do that kind of crappy first draft and that's hard to, to kind oh, of just God. just get it down there and you know it's rubbish you know there's so much <laughs> needs to be done but until you have that raw material to work with you can't then perfect it right and edit it up into into awesomeness so you have to get that done so that process actually I do quite like and then when it's when it is done yeah when i have written and then of course you get the clients um you know glowing response it's uh, that's that's lovely yeah and and also in the context of copy of course uh the idea is that you can measure responses yeah like for instance um email open rates or click-through rates or what have you you actually have metrics that you can uh own you know you could write the most gorgeous uh creative email and it won't convert it won't actually get the click-throughs which is kind of frustrating for you as a kind of creative person but that's actually not what you're trying to achieve. You are trying to get those clicks. So, um, so yeah, when you get those numbers, that's a nice sort of pat on the back. Yeah. And it's funny because the numbers are low, like on, yeah. on any click through rate. Low. Um, but you know, you think about, uh, that's one of the reasons I love baseball so much as a sport. Baseball as a sport, uh, is built on failure. Like entirely. Right. Um, you, you think about a really good batting average, right? At 330. Like, that's terrific. You're going to be near the top of the league. Right. That means 670 times out of 1,000. That you've... Yeah, that you have essentially failed. Yes, yes, exactly. That you have not done what you wanted to. But 33% of the time, you go, yep, I was hitting that. I was killing that. Uh, in copywriting, you know, if yeah. if it's like a pay-per-click campaign, if it's more than 1%, holy Lord, like yes. you, you're crushing it. Absolutely. If, if it's like an email open rate, if you're above, what, 25%? Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And you go, okay, so, wow. Yeah, so a lot uh, of the time, I'm really not getting through here. <laughs> but, yeah. But to the I people see. that you get through, yes. they tend to, it's almost like podcast listeners. Once someone listens to a podcast, they tend to become a super listener. Yeah. And they're super fans of it. And it's like, oh man, that was really good. And then they're subscribed to eight different podcasts. Yeah. When you break through to someone who actually needs to hear your message and then all of a sudden they're bought in and they go, man, this is fantastic. And it's because of your copy. Yes. What an amazing feeling. Yes, absolutely. And of course, you know, people can have the, the talking about emails the you know, 10,000 people or something on their email list. Um, and so, you know, 25% of that is obviously a lot of people anyway, but the, but the fact that they've got all those people on their list doesn't mean that those, as you say, are their fans, are their super fans, are there right. people who they actually need to connect with? Because people sign up for things and get on email lists, you know, all the time. And that's why it is healthy, kind of, in inverted commas, to, well, they call it scrubbing, which always sounds a little bit violent. Yeah. Uh, but to kind of, <laughs> to, uh, to ask actually your people on your email list to, to kind of self-identify. Are you, do you know, do you want to keep hearing from me or not? And right. then to, to kind of get rid of those people that, there's no point in sending them emails because they're never <laughs> going to open them. They're not interested. They're not your people. No. So knowing your people is so key. That's absolutely true. In terms of the work that, that you've done recently, can you give me a snapshot of a project that you had that you were enormously proud of that, uh, and you don't have to name the client or anything, but what was the challenge, if you can talk about it in broad strokes, and how did you help solve it? Right. Well, oftentimes the the people that I've been working with lately are coaches and course creators and um, uh, solopreneurs, usually people who are working, well, they may have a team, but they're pretty much working, working on their own. Um, And they want, they want, as I say, they want to help people. They want to change people's lives. So recently I was working with a, a wealth, a weight loss coach. Well, that's how she started. But like m- many of these things, it, it, it kind of grew to more than that, or, or at least what she wants to achieve is more than that. Because the reason that people often put on weight, of course, is not just 
I love food. It's, right. it, you know, obviously, there's so much more to loss and weight gain than that. And so she has found that her, her business has uh, grown into, into more like life coaching in general. Sure. So the challenge with her, she wanted a um, new web copy. And actually, I mean, from my point of view, the challenge was that she's kind of in this transition, basically, between wanting to to actually coach people more in terms of their, their whole life, that more holistic kind of way. But actually the people she's attracting or that she has been historically attracting are people who just want to lose weight. You know, and that's, you know, that's the kind of, it's like what we were talking about before, uh, about being problem aware and solution aware. Sometimes people think their problem is one thing, oh yeah, yeah. but it, it's actually something else. Right. So people will come to her because they want to lose weight and then she is able to help them in, you know, you know other aspects of their lives and, and really make a difference. But the problem is, that the people who are coming just because they want to lose weight in their own minds, at least are not seemingly willing to make the investment that she needs them to make in order to make the life coaching side of things kind of work financially in terms of yeah. coaching and, and, and courses. So, you know, she's doing these, they will get amazing results for their, Oh, let's just say a thousand dollars, what have you. Right. But they're not, she's not attracting the people who are willing to pay a thousand dollars for an amazing result. Mm. I mean, arguably, Everyone should. <laughs> well, of course, no, no, it's, that's not fair to say. Of course it's not because not everybody has, uh, has that amount to invest. But I do have a, another little hobby horse that, and t- I, you know, I was talking about my, my, uh, investment in the think tank earlier. Until you do put skin in the game, until you do make that bet on yourself and actually spend the money, you're not going to commit to making the trans- right. transformation that you know you need to make. You're not going to be all in. No, exactly. So that has been the challenge with, with this particular client. And I'm not sure we've got there yet, to be fair. Interesting. All right. <laughs> Well, but you're getting there. You're digging. Yes, exactly. And in in a lot of ways, you are an ad hoc therapist in your own way. Yeah. The psychology involved in it is incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that really, you know, drew me to it. Another reason why I felt like I should have been doing it all along. Well, I mean, that's, that's almost every business though, which is funny because, uh, I just got my haircut like the other day and I sat down with her. She was on the podcast like, good God, five years ago. Oh, right. And, uh, she said, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm a therapist because people sit in my chair, they look yes. in the mirror, and they start picking themselves apart. And not just about the way they look, because no one looks good under that cape. No, like, right? your hair's all wet. <laughs> you just have that cape on. You're just like... <laughs> I like a sea monster when I have my highlights down, I tell you. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, that's that's being sort of unfair to yourself. But, you know, she said people will sit down and go, I'm the worst dog owner. or And they'll just, like, confess their soul to her. Yeah. When you are running a business or you're in the business of trying to help people, in a lot of ways, you need help yourself. And, I mean, you you are trying to find the most authentic version of your client's voice yeah, and yeah. put it out so people can respond to it uh, in, in a very honest and real and tangible way. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's fascinating to me. That's why I love consulting because the hardest thing, and I'm sure you found this too, this is why people hire you, the hardest thing for a client to do is generate the raw material. Yeah. They, that takes time and that takes pulling from within you. Like no matter what you're writing, even if it's, I, I wrote this like advertorial, like I, I do a little bit of copywriting, not a ton of it, right. but I picked up this copywriting gig. I was writing an advertorial about hearing aids. Oh, right. And so like something I don't particularly care about, I don't have hearing loss, but I put myself in the mindset of someone who might want to mm-hmm. exactly what you said, who is the client? What would, if I were them, what would I want to hear that would get me to buy this particular hearing aid? Yes. And, and w- like, how would their life be different? So I actually interviewed my dad oh. 
who, who has hearing aids. And I'm like, okay, what's it like when you have them and when, when, when you don't have them? And he told me, he's like, when you, when you're not wearing them, you're, you're kind of on the sidelines and, and you're, you're, you're not as involved as you used to be. Yeah. So you can feel a little bit more subjugated. And I go, wow, that's real. Yes. Like, absolutely. That kind of voice of customer, uh, right. use those words. That's, that's gold. Yeah. That's yeah. legit. Absolutely. Like, and, and that's, that's a differentiator of having uh, a hearing aid versus not. And I yeah. go, okay, so I have the nut of this and I can build around it now. Yes. And so, but like that made me feel good about what I was doing, even though it felt sort of, you know, superfluous in the moment. It's like, I'm writing this, you know, advertorial for people I don't know, but hopefully you're making a difference in someone's lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And totally putting yourself in, in that person's, you know, in their world. And that's what uh, this, uh, this reach kind of uh, framework that I've got aims to do. It helps me formulate the questions that I can then ask people. Um, either through surveys or direct interviews or even kind of message mining in, you know, product and service reviews online, right. Amazon reviews and so on. It helps me, yeah, to get into their world in that way and to feel those things. And as you say, what you're talking about there of, of the, uh, of, of how your father felt about, about having being able to hear. Okay, right. you could say, if you're selling uh, a hearing aid, you could say, okay, great. Hey, it's, it's got these amazing features and it will help you to hear like 10% better, 100% better, whatever. And okay, it, that's great. That's a feature. it's small and discreet and, you know. Yeah, like, all those things. So those are all right. features. But what really will kind of key into your, um, <laughs> what will really key into your, your customer's mind is, is the benefits, is, 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 yeah, that experience of, oh, okay, suddenly I'm not on the sidelines. Right. Suddenly I feel like I used to. That, that's really, uh, really kind of powerful. That, that yeah. feeling as you're getting older, you're losing it somehow. You're kind of suddenly being pushed out to feel like you're back in the game. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. And that's so much more powerful than just saying, hey, yeah, your hearing will be 100% better or whatever. Yeah, these are cheaper. Yeah. You know, uh, they're smaller and more discreet. They work with Medicare or whatever, right? Yes. Like, okay, you need to mention all that. But don't put that front and center. No, exactly. Those are the features. Yeah, they come kind of second. They, they, yeah. That's the logical side of things that you use to justify the emotional response that you've already got. So right. everyone buys emotionally and then then rationalizes their decision logically right. with the features afterwards. That is that is just fact. That's well, <laughs> and it's like uh, when you write a press release, there's the, uh, the inverted triangle format of a press release. Are you familiar with this? I don't think I am, no. Okay, essentially, if you think of the amount of people reading your press release – the largest amount of people are going to read the headline. Oh, yes. Uh, a subset is yes. going to read the subheadline. Mm-hmm. Next level down is going to read just the first sentence. Next level down, just the first paragraph. All the yeah. way down to the smallest amount of people are going to read all the way to the bottom of the yes, press release. Yes. Well, the same could be said for a sales page or, yeah. Right, even exactly. Email. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you follow that sort of format, you know, you're doing good work. And if you're leading with like product features, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, generally, I, I'm sure there are exceptions to this rule, but yeah, in general, not a best practice. Absolutely. Well, another, um, copywriting kind of, uh, formula that we, that is often used, um, and it's really, uh, effective is we call it PAS and it's just, um, it basically stands for, um, problem agitation solution. So you lead mm. with the problem or the pain, you know, the struggles that, that, that your ideal customer is facing right now. Mm-hmm. And, they, and as I say, at this point, they may not even know there's a solution, but you're, you're kind of connecting with them. You're joining the conversation already going on in their head because they're thinking about, oh, God, I'm really struggling with such and such. Oh, wow. Suddenly this I know, press release sales page pops up. Oh, they're, they're talking to me. They're yeah. reading my mind. And then you kind of agitate it a bit and that kind of might go into, you know, oh, you could struggle on for ages like this and think how your life would, you know, deteriorate. <laughs> right. And then you come in with the, you know, 
ideas about the solution and introduce it there. So PAS, yeah. yeah. In a weird way, I mean, in a weird way, advertising copy is the new myth-making. And what's so weird, too, is, I mean, I know we're talking about sales. Um, The best commercials out there, why are they all insurance companies? (laughs) Like TV commercials? Yeah. They, They are the ones that are most highly entertaining. Yes. And they have the dullest product. Like no one likes dealing with insurance and no. maybe that's why. Exactly. I feel like there has to be a relationship there, <laughs> an <laughs> right. inverse relationship between entertainment and yeah, it's crazy. dullness of the product. Yeah. I want to go back pretty far here. And you mentioned that at a certain point in your career, you you had you have four children. Mm. That's, uh, I mean, that's a lot of kids. Um, I have two friends who have four and they're quite busy. <laughs> uh, yes. I was quite busy for a long, long time, but they're, they're, they're pretty big now. They're okay. kind of. The easy care now. That's good. <laughs> and you moved continent. Yeah. Where are you from originally? I'm from England. Okay. Yeah. So um, whereabouts? I was born uh, in Kingston upon Thames. Okay. Uh, which is I love the names I of know. English towns. Isn't it sweet? Yeah. Yeah, it's so quaint. I went back uh, to visit my mum just recently, and I, I, you see, when I first moved here, it was the the names here that just blew my mind, like <laughs> Squaw Pass and Stagecoach and things like this. It's just hilarious, and I don't know Devil's Knee or something. But yeah, it's all kind of um, Chipping Norton and Kingston upon Thames, back back where I come from. So yeah, I was born in Kingston upon Thames, which is basically in the suburbs of London, South okay. of London. What ultimately facilitated your move here, and how did you find your way to Colorado? Ah. Well, it was work, but it wasn't okay. my work. It oh. was, <laughs> it's often the case, isn't it? Uh, it was my husband. He used to work for Bass Brewers, who uh, oh, yeah. were um, UK, yeah, an English brewing company for centuries. But about, I don't know, it must be 15 years ago or so now, they were bought, well, it was a convoluted story, but eventually bought by Coors. And of course, Coors based here in, in Golden and Denver. And my hometown, so, yeah. Golden, Colorado. Oh, really? Golden. Yep. I love Golden, actually. So yeah, he was coming over for work a lot. Um, wow. this, as I say, this was about I know, something like 14 years ago now. And eventually, we came over on a vacation. I remember 2008 or something, seven or eight, and loved it. And um, it was kind of work trip for Hamish, my husband, and uh, the rest of us sort of just hung out in Denver. And then we had a little road trip. It was just beautiful. But we had no intention of living here at that point. And then it, it was a few years later when it became kind of slightly less disruptive. It was still very disruptive, but slightly less disruptive in the kids' schooling to move. Um, and Hamish was kind of still in the company and things were looking good. So 2012, we wow. moved here. Yeah. Um, and we moved to, to Evergreen. We live in Evergreen. And it was actually, looking back, it was astonishing because we had like one week, Hamish and I came over like house hunting. Oh, my. Yeah. We had one week to buy a house. And at the time, we thought, well, this is going to be, a, you know, a stretch, but we can do it. And looking back, up, thinking, why on earth did we think that was even feasible, even possible? But we did it. We did actually find the house where we're now living wow. um, in within that week. And it was all, it, it was like, I don't know, everything fell into place. It serendipity. was very serendipitous. Absolutely. <laughs> It was it was beautiful. So and we're still there, as I say, and and loving it. That's great. Yeah. You mentioned you're also an actor. Yes. And one thing I'm always curious about with actors, particularly ones that are not from America. <laughs> do you have an American accent? <laughs> do you do one? I do. Do you want me to? No. I, I, no. <laughs> would you please? It would be horrendous. I don't know. It's interesting because I have done plays where uh-huh. I've needed an American accent. I did um, in Breckenridge a couple of years ago, um, Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike, where I played Masha. Okay. And uh, so I had to kind of do that there and other plays as well. But I've actually been really lucky that uh, a lot of the plays that have come along have been British plays. And so I've just kind of slotted in. But I don't know. I could try to do an American accent if you like, but it would be really embarrassing. <laughs> So that, that was good. That was California. Yeah, I know. Right. I tend to do a kind of, I know, Valley Girl. 
<laughs> that's what I slip into. That's uh, that's spectacular. Uh, <laughs> totally. And no, Thank that's you. that's one thing uh, Kristen and I will sometimes say to each other. Like my favorite beer is Dale's Pale Ale. Oh yeah. So I'll, I'll just turn to Kristen. I'll be like, "Babe, will you got me a Dale's Pale Ale?" <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, oh God. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I, yeah, I'm always curious about that because, you know, every Tom, Dick and Quasimodo here in America has a bad British accent. You know, everyone <laughs> tries. Um, and I, I heard it was on this other podcast that I really like where this guy, uh, have you seen Ocean's Eleven where Don Cheadle has a yes. weird like Cockney accent? Oh yeah. And yeah. It's not great. Cockney. <laughs> <laughs> Someone shove him up a chimney, please. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point he goes, oh, leave it out. <laughs> yes. And he's like, oh, I gosh. say that around my house. And so Kristen and I looked that up. We're like, wow, that is actually a Cockney accent. We had our friend Lyndon, who's from South Africa. He's like, he was trying to teach us Cockney rhyming slang. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, how does anyone ever decode this? <laughs> well, that's the point. It is a code, isn't it? It's a secret code. You're not supposed to. He's like, so I would call you guys tanks. And I go, tanks? What the? Oh, I don't know. Or, no, one. no, no. He's like, I would call you guys septic. Oh, right. Yeah. It's for septic tank, meaning. What Yanks. Is that? Yanks. Oh, right. I'd not heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm like, dude, that's like three steps removed. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. Kind of. And then, yeah, because it can get even further removed. God, really? Some other word will substitute the original word that then was part of a, you know, the double. Oh, anyway. Yeah. Wow. That's too funny. Um, so what's next for you? What, uh, what are things that you haven't done yet or types of clients you haven't worked with? Or what do you got in the hopper? So what's next for Jen? Right. Well, I have, um, it's funny, joining the think tank, I had uh, my kind of strategy calls with, uh, with Kira and Rob. And uh, they asked me, you know, what's your stretch goal? What do you, what do you really want to, to achieve this year? And uh, there's a guy called James Wedmore. I don't know if you've come across him. He's, um, he, he has a, a podcast too. I am big into podcasts, it has to be said. <laughs> uh, right. But yeah, he's about, he's a, he's a coach who coaches coaches, basically. Oh, no, sorry. Um, he started, meta. right. Totally meta. But he's, um, he's quite woo. Um, if you know what I mean. Uh, but he's, he's uh, quite woo. Woo. Oh, you not had woo. Oh, okay. Um, woo woo. Sort of, he's quite into mindset sort of techniques and so right. on to, to, to move business forward. And a lot of it makes, makes so much sense, sense to me. And, uh, He's, he's just a great personality and I really admire the way he runs his company, uh, and his trainings. And so I said to, to Kira that my kind of, not so much a kind of dream client, but a fantasy client, because there's no way I'd ever get to work for him, um, would be to work for James Wedmore. And, um, actually I am. <laughs> get out. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's a tiny thing and it's, it's obviously I'm not on the payroll. I'm, I'm working, uh, as, as myself, but, um, yeah, I'm doing their weekly emails for them. Nice. So, uh, yeah, no, so that's a little bit of a, a tick. Yes. Check that off. Oh, hell yeah. So that's, I mean, and, and as I say, it's only a tiny thing, but I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, you know, to, to build up. I know that that one of their big philosophies at team Wedmore is, you know, to bring people up from, from the bottom. So nice. So I'm looking forward to that. But in general, yeah, I want to, um, expand my business. I want to help. Yeah. As I say, big hearted brands, entrepreneurs to, to make more impact and make more money to, to increase their reach and their resonating with, with their clients so that they can have that impact that they want by writing copy that, that speaks directly into their, their ideal customers' minds. So yeah. Um, I mean, web copy is, is something I really like. I love doing emails as well, actually. Actually, it has to be said, I like doing all kinds of copy, but I've been told I need to niche. 
right. so so i i'm aiming to niche down into kind of bios and about pages specifically although as i say I, i'm anticipating that if people want an about page they probably want a home page as well and and maybe service pages as, as on top of that. But I like the idea of specializing in about pages and bios because again, from the acting point of view, I, it's a very obvious way for me to sort of showcase how I can get into somebody's uh, character and mind and, and show the world who they are. Well, it's so funny. I got niched into, I, and I just picked up this gig. It was a small gig, didn't pay very well, right. but I wrote bios for real estate agents for this one firm. Oh yeah. And I, I can tell you there are three origin stories for realtors, basically. Right. Um, once you interview like 25 of them, you've pretty much heard the same general story again and again. <laughs> but I wrote it like because if, if you read a bio of a realtor, they've probably written it themselves. And that's going to be varying in quality to whatever degree they can write about themselves, number one. And number two, what their general writing ability is. Sure. So if you standardize that format, it makes your site you know look a little bit more uniform. Came to find out that these bios were really, really popular. So when they split off into a new branch, I had to write all their new bios too. And so I basically, I just interviewed them like I interviewed you. Yeah. And I asked them a handful of questions. Uh, and then I wrote it like you were writing a magazine feature, you know, like 500 words in People Magazine, like get to know whoever. Yes. Three, three yes. random facts, you know, that just Beautiful. fun stuff, right? Yeah. That was really, really fun because that was using my interviewing skill set in a different way. Right. You know, so it's always funny how skills intersect, you know, yes. like getting into your, your acting mindset. Absolutely. Um, getting into my hosting mindset. If I can interview people and use that for a different kind of purpose, that's great because yeah. I love interviewing people. I'm endlessly curious about people. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I was going to ask you. I don't know if I'm allowed to ask you questions oh, by all means. on your podcast. <laughs> but I mean, what episode are you on now? It's 200 and something, this 220? One, something? No, this one will be 218. Right. Well, yeah, nearly 220. It, I mean, that's a lot of people that you've spoken to. Yeah. And it's interesting. You, you just mentioned that within uh, real estate agents that there's only three basic kind of stories that go on. Do you find a lot of similarities in kind of stories and backgrounds and and so on among the people that you've interviewed? There's a lot more variance than there are in just the, the small subset of a realtor. Right, right. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose that's to be expected. Well, yeah. and, and I'm talking to people of all different stripes, you know, because I've, I've got people who are entrepreneurs. I've also had some corporate people. I've had some nonprofit folks. Artists are always different. Right. Like, and comedians and actors and folks like that. When I do the Denver Film Fest. Oh, yeah. Those folks are like, they have a much different view of the world than people who are in business. Right. Because their business is a little bit different. And so I found like there are some, there are some universal themes in terms of everyone and like how they relate to their work. Yeah. But the nuts and bolts of people's work is always kind of different. And I, I love that. It keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, to answer your question, yeah, I would say I am constantly surprised by yes. people's journey. It is amazing, isn't it? And I love that. I love just talking to people. Just, I mean, yeah, that is part of copy as well, of course, oh, yeah. because not only your clients, but your customers, their customers, you're constantly kind of diving into their lives and finding out what makes them tick. And it's, it is, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the part in the show when we do plugs, Jen. Oh, <laughs> where can people get in touch with you? How can they find you? How can they enlist your services? Excellent. Uh, anything you want to plug, do it now. All right. Well, I have um, probably the best place to find me is either my website, which is ginwalker.com, um, or you can find me on Facebook, just Gin Walker. Actually, I have a, a services page on, on Facebook, which is ginwalker, 
copy genie on instagram loving the instagram lately uh i'm at copy genie um i'm also on twitter but that's at copy gin i don't spend a lot of time on, on twitter though so good prob- for you yeah right <laughs> you can't do everything but no yeah so um either one my website or facebook is probably the best places or instagram to find me um and i'd also i want to give a little plug to the copywriter club as well oh, yeah. because they are just they have changed my life how a podcast changed my life um, yours too, John, obviously. Uh, oh, shut up, shut up. <laughs> so they are the And if you're interested in, in finding out more about copy in general, either for your own business or, you know, as a career for yourself, then check them out because uh, they have all kinds of amazing resources there. Yeah. So that's me. I would love to connect. I'd love to, to find out more about anyone out there who wants to. And you can find Once links. Touch. You can find links to all of those things on the John of All Trades companion blog piece that'll air, go up with this episode. That's JohnofAllTrades.us. J O N of All Trades.us. Jin, you are an absolute ray of sunshine. <laughs> oh, bless you! Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for uh, coming in for pitching me this idea, by the way, and just reconnecting <laughs> because we had a great time on that panel. Yeah. And thanks for putting up with these two fat cats who <laughs> seem to be trying to make their presence known uh, during this episode. But thanks, Jin. Continued success to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a total pleasure. And that wraps up episode 218 of the John of All Trades podcast with Jen Walker. She is the copy genie. Be sure to check out all of her links to the John of All Trades companion blog piece at johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us. Also, a belated happy birthday to her. We recorded this on her birthday, which what a privilege to get to spend her birthday with her, talking with her about her entire career, her journey, and sharing a few laughs along the way. Hope this year treats you well, Jen. It was an honest-to-God pleasure, and I can't wait for us to work together again. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I want to work with you. Training, content, engagement, podcasting, Help your organization tell its story in a new way. I work fast, I work efficient, and I work unorthodox. So if you're looking for an unconventional solution, I'm happy to pitch you an idea. Check out John of All Trades on the social media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. And how easy is this? It's all under the same handle, J-O-A-T-P-O-D. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, a billion other podcatchers, and of course, the homepage. New episodes drop on Wednesday. The first job series happens on Monday. If you missed Jin, it's delightful. She worked in a shoe store called Freeman Hardy Willis in Kingston-upon-Thames, and that's maybe the most British thing I have ever said. I'm back here next week with a brand new episode. Can't wait to hear you back here then, and until I do, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.